This is the last talk on Colossians. Uh, a couple of years ago, we began this series on Colossians. And I'll uh, never forget, uh, Colin and I were having a very brief chat and before the service. This is a couple of years ago. And we, weren't, we were debating whether I should come back uh, for another year. And uh, I said this to him. I said, well, if I were to come back, uh, a friend of mine uh, says, R.T., you need to do a study on Colossians. And you might like to know that Michael Eaton, uh, who's one of my closest friends now in heaven, and all of you, I think, at Kensington Temple know Michael Eaton. And he said to me two different times over uh, 18 years ago, R.T., you need to do Colossians. And I said, uh, well, I, uh, I don't know how I would do Colossians. I'm not at Westminster Chapel anymore. Colossians is the kind of book that I would need a couple of years in, uh, and I don't have that ministry. And then a friend of mine who's very prophetic, Bobby Connor, uh, said to me one day, every time I look at you, I see Colossians. And I thought, okay. Well, I told Colin, and Colin said, you must come back and do Colossians. Well, we've done it now. Uh, I, if I had it to do over again, I could probably do a better job. Uh, but it's been a joy to be with you. Such a privilege. And I thank Colin Dye for inviting me. Uh, one of the happiest experiences for Louise and me has been seven years, almost seven, the last being, uh, I guess, six and a quarter because of the coronavirus. He, we had to leave. But it's just about seven years. And it's been such a privilege. And Kenton Temple, you're... Uh, my kind of people. I never will forget the first time I preached for Elam. It was in Bognor Regis years ago. And when I was on the site, and this was, there was nothing holy about the site. The truth is, uh, this was, was a, a place for hotels. But uh, Elam had, I think, rented out uh, uh, all those uh, uh, hotels or motel, whatever they were. And I was there and I felt an unusual thing. I've never had this before or since. I thought, I'm at home. I am at home. And, oh, Butlins, that's what, the, what there was at, at, at Bognor Regis. It was the Butlins, but because Elam had come and taken over the whole thing, it must have created an atmosphere. And I thought, I'm at home. And Colin and I have been great friends uh, over the years, uh, uh, I just can't tell you what Elam has meant to me and uh, for all of you. Well, uh, let me get on with uh, the last part of Colossians. Now, there's a sense in which Colossians begins and ends with a man by the name of Epaphras. And today, I would call this final sermon, talk, whatever you want to call it, Are You Willing to Be an Unsung Hero? Unsung hero. Well, that's a person who gets no recognition, but has achieved great things. There are those heroes, who are like the astronauts. Uh, there are people who are exploring science. They get a Nobel Prize. Uh, and they are heroes, for sure. But then there are the unsung heroes. And if it weren't for Paul telling us about Epaphras, you wouldn't have known that he is the reason for the church at Colossae. He was a soul winner. And the scholars say, same Epaphras did the same at Ephesus and 
Laodicea. There were three churches. Uh, they're all kind of close together. Uh, and if you look at uh, modern Turkey, you can see where these churches were. Well, Ephesus, he was a soul winner. And now we find out something else about him. And so as Paul is winding down this epistle to the Colossians, he tells us a second thing about Ephesus. Ephesus. He said, he's one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you and always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So we find out he's not only a soul winner, but he's a man of prayer. And so the soul winner prays to see people converted. The man of prayer prays for those who have been converted. And that's what Ephesus is doing. And Paul wants everybody to know that. Now, there are some people that don't want to affirm people publicly, afraid it'll go to their heads or whatever the reason. But we learn from Paul, he felt that Ephesus should be encouraged. And uh, it's, it's nice when somebody says, thank you, or as long as they don't let it go to their heads, say, you've been a blessing to me. Well, I'll tell you what, this Ephesus, his reward in heaven, it wouldn't surprise me if it just exceeds everybody. Because what he had done, not knowing that he'd get any recognition for it at all. And then what I find so interesting, it says he's struggling in prayer. Uh, that means he's wrestling. There are three different, uh, three translations. Uh, in fact, the Greek word is agonizomenos, the word agonize. You can see right in there, it's translated wrestle, uh, it, it strives. Why would anybody agonize in prayer? Now, this is something I could spend the whole time. This would be another sermon on prayer. We've, we've had several. And this could be one. But let me just get right to the point. It does show that praying is not fun. Now, there are those who just enjoy praying. And, and I know what they mean by that. Because, to be honest, I enjoy my quiet time and <laughs> love it. But there are times when I'm agonizing because I think, Lord, are you going to hear me? Are you listening to me? Uh, and it becomes a kind of agony. Well, why? Why? I'll tell you why. You don't always know if God's going to answer your prayer. Do you know what requires faith? It's knowing you may not get what you want, but you still believe. You see, there are those who say, well, if this didn't happen, I believe there was a God. But because this happened, I can't believe there was a God. And you might say, if God always answered your prayer, well, it would be easy. Just name what you want and say, thank you, Lord, goodbye. But because God likes our company, I think, I think this is one of the reasons he doesn't answer our prayer at least the first day or maybe after a year. I've got prayer requests that I've put before the Lord for years, to be honest. And I think, Lord, why? Why won't you answer? Well, it's, it's agony. But this proves whether you will believe in God even if you don't get what you want. Because anybody would believe in God if you just start praying and you get it. Everybody's healed. Everybody, you get the job they want. 
Everybody gets the financial blessing. You get the friend, uh, you get the person you wanted to marry, just easy. It isn't like that. And Epaphras knows that. And he's praying hard for those who have been converted. And it is thrilling to me because I find it's true. I'm sure many of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You think, Lord, why? See, this is why Jesus gave us the parable of that importunate widow, we call a persistent widow, who kept going to the judge and says, avenge me of my adversary, and he wouldn't have anything to do with it. Finally, he said, because this widow keeps bothering me, I'm going to give her what she wants. She's driving me crazy. <laughs> well, Jesus said, remember that judge. How much more will your father give you? And the point of that parable, Luke chapter 18, is he said we should pray and not give up. Pray and not give up. My friend Arthur Blessed, every time he signs his name, he'll put Luke 18.1. And that says, Jesus gave a parable that we should pray and not faint. Pray and not give up. And that is the thing about Epaphras. He was wrestling are you willing to wrestle in prayer? Are you one of those who say, well, I've prayed for a whole week and I don't get it. You forget about it. Big mistake. Huge mistake. Don't ever give up until God says no. And, and he could do that when you know it's, he's just not going to answer it. But until that happens, don't ever give up because he's got a plan. And part of this is he likes your company. You're getting to know his ways. You're finding out things about God. As you probably heard me say many times, children spell love, T-I-M-E. And what if God spells your love for him, how much time you pray? And when you spend time with someone, you get to know them. Uh, I know Colin Dye better than some of you because I've had time with him. It's just an example. Uh, there are people that you get to know by spending time with them. I can tell you now, you want a fast track into the presence of God to get to know his ways. Be like Epaphras. He agonized in prayer. And God honors that. And what was it that he prayed? He says, he prays for you that you may stand mature and fully assured in all of the will of God. I want that for myself. I hope you want that for yourself. And when he says fully assured, you know, I did not realize something until this week as I was preparing this sermon that I thought that the Greek word plerophoria was only three times in the New Testament. Uh, we've seen it uh, in Colossians. We see it in Hebrews. But here it is again. It's the verb form. The word plerophoria means full assurance. It's when you have what uh, the old Puritans called infallible assurance. It's when you know that you know. There's nothing more wonderful than this gift of plerophoria. That's the Greek word. When you are just totally convinced, there's no doubt, and it's wonderful. This is why John, in 1 John 5, 15, says, if we know that he hears us, he said in verse 14, 
that if you pray in the will of God, you're being heard. And, but the problem is you don't always know you've prayed in the will of God. You, you don't. You say, well, you ought to know. Well, Paul didn't always know. He actually said in Romans 8, 26, 27, that he prays with groanings because you don't know what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit intercedes in your behalf. That's praying in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. But you don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying. And so in 1 John 5, 15, he says, if we know, that's paraphoria, if you know that he hears you, you know that what you have is going to come. If I'm totally honest, I've had that happen <laughs> a few times, but not many. I wish I could say it happens every day. I don't think it had to, it happened much to Epaphus. You know how I know? Because he agonized. You wouldn't have to do that. And there's another thing Epaphus didn't know. He wasn't fully assured that they were going to be fully assured. Because if he were fully assured that they're going to be fully assured, he wouldn't have agonized. And so that was the way he prayed. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a prayer partner like that? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have somebody who is so unselfish and devoted to your good will, your ministry, that they pray like that for you? You know, the secret of D.L. Moody, the secret of D.L. Moody, the great preacher from Chicago back in the 19th century, maybe you didn't know this, there was a person who did nothing but pray for D.L. Moody, and while Moody was preaching, he would be behind the scenes just praying nonstop, praying nonstop for D.L. Moody. That's the reason God used D.L. Moody. He was upheld by prayer. And if you can find somebody that will pray for you like that, you are very, very blessed. Well, Epaphras. That's the way he prayed for the Colossians, that they would be fully assured in all the will of God. In other words, know that what God wants for them, they will know that they are pleasing him and fully assured that they are carrying out what God wants them to carry out. Well, now there's more we learn just before we end this study on Colossians. He refers to Luke, the beloved physician, and he sends his greetings. You probably have heard that Luke was a doctor, but you wouldn't know if, it, if he hadn't said it here. Luke doesn't call himself a doctor when he writes the Gospel of Luke or the book of Acts. Uh, he doesn't call himself a doctor. Paul lets us know he was a physician. And uh, uh, the first Christian physician that we know of, there have been some since, Christian doctors, and thank God for physicians that are devoted to God's will and still want to use all the fine, uh, finest things that you can learn from modern science, what you can learn from medicine, herbs, whatever. Well, Luke was the first. Uh, I know a hospital in uh, Tampa, Florida called St. Luke's Hospital. Uh, there are a lot of St. Luke's named after him. So he was not only a physician, but he was a scholar. He was a researcher. Look what we learn from him about the Virgin Mary. Do you realize that we would not know the things about the birth of Jesus if it weren't for the fact that Luke 
from what we can tell, interviewed Mary. We're told that what happened, Mary pondered these things in her heart. Angel appeared to her and said, blessed are you among women. Uh, and you're going to be giving birth to a, a child. His name will be called the Son of God. And Mary said, how can I? I don't know a man. And then the angel said, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. We wouldn't know that. Mary kept quiet about it. Now, I'll tell you something else. Because she kept quiet about it, do you realize that Joseph and Mary grew up in Nazareth and everybody thought that their child, Jesus, was born out of wedlock? Yeah, they, they thought that, that they weren't married yet and Mary had a baby. And Joseph was willing to accept that stigma. You talk about an unsung hero, by the way, Joseph, for him to keep quiet about it and have everybody criticize him and say, he's the father of a baby uh, uh, and where they weren't married. And it was part of the stigma. In fact, you see it in John chapter 6, when the uh, people were beginning to turn against Jesus, they threw up that, said, we know about his mother, his father, don't we? You see it in John 6. As long as Jesus was healing everybody, as long as he was feeding the 5,000 with the loaves and the fish, they thought Jesus was wonderful. They would have made him king. But then the moment he begins to teach things that gets close to the bone, they don't like it at all. And now they resort. The last refuge of a scoundrel. You can use that phrase. This is what they did. They referred to this fact that everybody knew about it. They didn't talk about it. But they did now when they didn't like what Jesus was preaching. Well, Mary didn't tell what happened. But one day, Luke talked to her. And she told Luke the truth. And that's how we know. So we have the Gospel of Luke. We've got the Book of Acts. And uh, Luke was just a blessing... And he followed Paul around. Half of the book of Acts, Luke was right there. And, uh, and I'll tell you another thing about Luke. He was a real friend, but he was objective. Do you realize that when Paul was warned by prophetic people that he shouldn't go to Jerusalem, Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't care what you say. I, I'm going. Do you know who Luke believed? Do you think he believed Paul or did he believe the prophetic people? He believed the prophetic people. Look at it carefully. Luke, he still follows, he still follows Paul. He just tells the truth what happened. But Luke privately, and it comes out in the writing, didn't believe that Paul should have gone to Jerusalem. And we know that when he did, he caused nothing but trouble. But that's another story. But this is the same Luke. And thank God for this little bit in Colossians, when Paul is winding down the epistle, he tells this about Luke that you wouldn't know. And, uh, and then here comes something very interesting. He says, not only does Luke send greetings, but so does Demas. Demas. Do you know what I'm thinking? Do you realize in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul refers to his same Demas and said, Demas has left me. He's deserted me. Having love is present world. That goes to show, we know that Colossians 
was written not that far uh, in time from his last epistle to uh, Timothy, to Timothy. So even when Demas was there uh, with Paul, and Paul sends greetings from Luke and from Demas, perhaps Demas was already having his thoughts about the world and going back to the world. We don't know what it was, whether it was sexual temptation, what was financial temptation, maybe just got tired of his lifestyle. We don't know what it was. Then you say, well, does that mean that Demas will go to hell? Well, if the theology of some people, you believe, yes, Demas would have been lost, but I don't believe that for one minute. I don't believe that. Sadly, but it's true, there are people, genuine Christians, that make mistakes, they give in to temptation, they blow it, and that's what Demas did. And it just shows, even though he's been with Luke, he's been with Paul, there may be people around you, I hope not, but you think these are faithful people, they will never desert God. And then you find out there are those, after they've been in the church for a long time, suddenly they get tempted, and you think, I didn't think it would happen to them. It can. <laughs> it could happen to you. It could happen to me. Yeah. You know, when I uh, remember preaching in South Africa, oh, it's been seven or eight years ago, a lady came up to me after my sermon. You know what she said? She said, so glad to meet someone who has finished well. I said, finish well? I was in my late 70s then, and she thought, I guess I was going to die in two weeks. The truth is, I, I haven't finished well yet. I, I would like to think that I will, but here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, He that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. And if it could happen to Demas, it could happen to me, it could happen to you, and it's just a warning. Uh, there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 6. It says, those who have tasted the good word of God, partakers of the Holy Ghost, if they fall away, cannot be renewed again. I can't be sure that Demas was like that. But what I do know, those in Hebrews 6 were genuinely converted. How do we know? First of all, it describes how far they'd gone with the Lord. Partakers of the spirit, of the good word of God, powers of the world to come. And said, if they fall, they couldn't be renewed again. Again, that's the Greek word Pauline, renewed again to repentance. That shows they had repented. So these people were saved, but some fell. And that's why the writer of Hebrews warns them not to repeat the sin of ancient Israel, where the Israelites, though they crossed over the Red Sea on dry land, they'd gone through Passover, and they'd seen the miracles. They'd partaken of the manna in the desert, and yet they let God down when they could have gone into the promised land and they didn't. And God said, I swear in my wrath they will not enter. They will not. And so those in Hebrews 6 that fell could not be renewed again. Was Demas that? It's possible. What we know is that he was right there on the inner circle. And it's just a warning to us. Though you have people around you, we should never esteem anybody too highly. Don't ever say that you cannot fall. Don't ever say someone else cannot fall. It happens to people that surprise us. We think, oh, I didn't think that could ever happen to somebody like that. One other thing, 
about as we bring this uh, epistle to the Colossians, my treatment of it to a close, he refers to Nympha and the church in her house. This lets you know that there was a woman named Nympha and Nympha was responsible for a church in her home. Now we're talking first of all about the importance of women. When I think of women in the church, you people in KT, I don't know how long it will be before you can go back. Maybe you're already back. By the time this is played, I'm hoping that this, uh, the danger of this coronavirus be over and you can all go back to KT. And I wish I could be there. Oh, do I ever wish I could be there. Uh, so the thing is, once you're back, here's what I want you to do. Because I know KT better than many. Look around. See how many men you've got. And see how many women. And I can tell you now, as best I can recall, it's like 80% women. It just shows the importance of women. Paul's referring to this. We should esteem women are as important in the kingdom of God as men. And one other little point, he says the church. He's not talking about a building. The Greek word for church is the called out. We're talking about the people. God has called them out. That is the church. It is not the building. And listen, for the last several months, you couldn't even be in the building at KT. You were at home. Many of you, by yourself. By yourself. Others maybe have one other person there. The church. The people. And so in the earliest church, they met in homes. And so Paul is just casually referring to this. So it, it just shows what it was like in the earliest church. I want to say another thing. The word Laodicea is mentioned four times here. See, Laodicea was very close, probably 12 miles from Colossae. And Colossae was probably 20 miles from Ephesus. So these three towns were close to each other. And you will know that in the book of Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus, at the right hand of God, gave this uh, vision to John on the Isle of Patmos, he addressed seven churches. There were seven churches, two of them, one Ephesus and the other Laodicea are mentioned here. Colossae is not mentioned, but Ephesus is. It was the first uh, a letter from the throne of grace to, uh, in Revelation chapter 2. It was to the Ephesians, the church of Ephesus. And then the last, to the church of the Laodiceans. And what we remember about the church of Ephesus says you have left your first love. And what he says to the church of the Laodiceans, he said, you become lukewarm. You're neither cold nor hot. He said, I would just spit you out of my mouth. That's, that's what Jesus said to the church of the Laodiceans. Well, we're talking now a church that was existing in the 60s AD. When the book of Revelation was written, John was probably 90. Some say 100. So this would mean probably 30 years later, these same churches, Ephesus, they lost their first love. Laodiceans, lukewarm. But uh, that's who we're talking about. And by the way, wouldn't you like to have the name 
archippuses? Do you know what? How would you feel if somebody told you there's a letter from a very famous person and he's got a special word just for you? How would you feel if you're told Apostle Paul says something to you, uh, don't forget your ministry. He says, see to it that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. You know, if, if Paul had said that to me, I would be so honored and flattered. And before this epistle is over, <laughs> Paul calls out somebody you would never have heard of. He said, just don't forget. And that man would know exactly what Paul's talking about. And it's a word that lets this man, um, if I can pronounce the name, Archippus, Archippus, uh, know that God hasn't forgotten that he's called to a particular ministry. Well, I've got to close. Uh, Paul says, remember my chains. Last thing, he's in chains, not only in prison, but he's chained. He can't go anywhere. And it's a fair thing for him to say, pray for me. Well, we must pray for each other. I just want to say on my last word to you, if you don't know for sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven, you don't know for sure, pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit. As best as I know how, I give you my life.